Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams. Thanks to direct-to-consumer businesses, the rise of agritourism, and even social media, it's never been easier for consumers to connect with those producing their food. Here on the Farm Traveler Podcast, we want to connect you with businesses offering direct-to-consumer products you can try at home, agritourism sites you can visit with your family, and exciting new technologies that are changing how your food is being grown. This week, we'll be talking with Deep Silver, the Senior Director of Marketing at Fresh Prep LLC and Boscovich Family Farms. Deep recently helmed the launch of Green Fork, an inventive, fresh line of salad kits, tender leaves, salad blends, and packaged veggies. So the company is actually one of the very few vertically integrated produce companies, meaning they grow, process, pack, and deliver their own products. So in our interview, Deep will tell us about her background and the inception of Green Fork, as well as COVID's impact of creating the product. We'll also talk about the importance of building brand loyalty, what that looks like, as well as the power of convenience, and what Deep learned about the agriculture industry while creating this product. And when the episode's over, head to the description of this podcast episode for all things mentioned in today's episode, like Green Fork Fresh. You can check out their website at greenforkfresh.com, as well as all of our other content over at thefarmtraveler.com. So hope you enjoy this episode, and thank you for listening. All right. Well, sweet. Well, Deep Silver, welcome to the Farm Traveler podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Trevor? <laughs> I'm doing great. I am excited to learn about the company you work for, um, Green Fork, and all the cool things you guys are doing. So before we kind of dive into that, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started working with Green Fork. Yeah, so I'm a marketer, always have been very passionate about the consumer and what drives the consumer to make their purchase decision at the shelf. Um, My background has been in food, um, mostly packaged goods and center store. So stuff that's basically, you produce it, you market it, and there's a endless shelf life often, right? So I worked at companies like ConAgra, Nestle, Del Monte, um, 
bond well. And then, which now led me to working on a category that I get really, really excited about, which is produce. So I was brought in in January 21 to help the company launch a retail line. The business has always been at the core of just growing produce. And now we're commercializing a a value-added retail line, and it's kind of my baby, which is Green Fork. I'm sure that that was a lot of hoops to jump through. I mean, especially as they're trying to go from just growing to actually going into storefronts with having a product. I'm sure there was a lot of obstacles y'all had to jump through. Oh, you don't even want to know. Um, <laughs> it's definitely been a, a you know, an opportunity for the organization to grow and learn. And But, you know, we've made it. So because because we're so entrepreneurial and so nimble, it allows us to be really flexible in the way we do things and also move really fast. So I can tell you my past companies, the ones I mentioned earlier, are which are very large, things do not move at the rate that they do here. So it's exciting to be in a very, very go do what you want to do. If you want to do it, make it happen, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense, kind of a company. So, um, yes, lots of hoops for sure. I could give you stories and stories, but that's a whole nother podcast. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I bet there are countless stories. So kind of walk us through kind of what started with the inspiration behind this new line of Green Fork and then what I mean, what all went in behind the scenes to where you guys pretty much almost have a finished product that's going to be in stores. So what was that whole from idea to conception? What was that whole process like? Right. So the idea was um, convenient salad. So if you're familiar with the category, the value added salad category continues to grow double digits over the last, I mean, continuously over the last four or five years where I've been looking at the data. So, um, and then with the pandemic, you know, people shopping more and eating at home, it just was a very obvious opportunity. So in 21, we have a plant that does, um, we already do processing, but it was more towards a food service side. We saw an opportunity to go into retail and really just expand our breadth of offerings. Um, When I stepped in, there was no brand. It didn't even exist. And so the CEO, uh, George Boscovich, asked me to come up with an idea and come up with what this could look like. So with a lot of brainstorming and looking at just the category as a whole and understanding what's out there and looking at even other categories, right? What is resonating with consumers? Where are we seeing brands kind of take a forefront? What's different about them? And so that's where we kind of, we brought on an agency um, to help us design Green Fork. So went through many iterations of naming exercises, went through many iterations of what the look could feel like. But ultimately, our goal was that we wanted to do something really fun and appealing to a younger audience. And that's something that kind of stood out on shelf that didn't look like everybody else's um, everybody else's brands. And really, also, more importantly, told a story about who the Boscovich family was and what their heritage is, right? So they've been growers as I'm from ni- since 1915. And how do we now take that core competency of growing and then, you know, bring it, bring it to the convenience side. So Green Fork has been a journey of getting us there. So it's been a lot of fun for sure. But um, the naming, working with the agency is one of the early steps um, to answer your question more specifically. And then really diving in with the chef. We have a chef on our team, Chef Andrew Hunter, who works with the likes of um, Wolfgang and Nyman Ranch. And he is so well-versed in flavors. And um, he helped us develop these recipes of salads that we are now commercializing. So Green Fork includes packaged salads, as I mentioned, but it includes the base of 
you know, there's a bag spinach, there's a garden salad, there's arugula, and you can purchase those and you can add your own toppings. But then we took it to the next level with salad kits, which is basically putting that similar produce or different produce in a bag and actually giving you the dressing and the toppings to make it a complete meal. So that's salad kits. And then the third part of Green Fork is we're calling packaged veg. So it's taking um, the commodity vegetables such as such as radishes and bok choy and herbs that we've been growing for decades, uh, cilantros and parsleys, and really putting them in a pack and letting consumers um, purchase these now and have a where they can have a brand loyalty to a product with a story. Yeah. And I think that story that you guys are trying to drive home is really important because, I mean, like you were saying, you guys are trying to be fun. Looking at your Instagram, you can really see it because you guys have posts like, let us celebrate moms on Mother's Day, but it says let us instead of let us. And then you've got things like on May 4th, instead of May the 4th be with you, it's May the Fork be with you. I mean, I'm really picking up on the fun vibe, which I think is really important because, you know, I mean, there's so many produce companies out there that are just like, hey, eat our greens, try our products. But you guys are trying to liven it up, freshen it up, have fun. And I think that's really cool. And I really hope that that kind of resonates with with consumers. Yeah, no, definitely. Thank you for saying that, because that is exactly what we've been going for, right? To make this fun and approachable. This isn't just another, you know, stodgy, you know, salad company, right? We're really oh, yeah. we're trying to kick it up a notch. And really, I mean, as I started to allude to earlier, just appeal to a younger audience. Um, consumers are looking for convenience. They're looking for a brand that speaks to them. And I think this does that, and especially if we can bring them out early in their purchasing cycle, right, and get their loyalty, then they could be our partners for the long haul. And we have a very, very lengthy and strong pipeline of new innovation coming. So it's not definitely not a one and done on what we've developed so far. There's just so much more that we have coming that will appeal to them based on their needs and their insights um, as they, you know, kind of just develop into the category. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I totally understand that. And, you know, it's funny, you talked about packaging. So actually, I um, every now and then I'll upload you, um, videos on like YouTube and TikTok and all that stuff, just kind of talking about random food and farming facts. And there was one that I uploaded to, to YouTube as a short. And I, I do not understand the algorithm at all, but it somehow got 2000 views, which most of them get like 20 to 30. And so I was like, holy cow. But essentially, I was at Walmart looking at the packaging for products like pineapples, for example, like cut pineapples, instead of buying a pineapple for, I don't know, $1.50, you can buy a cut pineapple in a plastic container with, that's like $2.50. And I was just looking at like all the, the plastic waste and just all the stuff that goes into that, even though, you know, fruit already has, you know, a skin or a shell or whatever that is natural and you don't really have to package it unless you cut it. And so you mentioned earlier, like kind of the packaging process. So what all kind of goes into the development of that, where you're not using a lot of plastics or a lot of resources, but you're also using enough to where you can make sure that that product is going to be fresh enough for the consumer. So is there like a balance you kind of have to strike there? Um, yeah, I mean, we we always achieve to use the most minimal packaging, right? So our bags are kind of just the basic for where we have to put the produce. I mean, we're cutting it. And when then we have to, the bags are actually kind of special. I don't know if you, you know, if your listeners or yourself know about just like there's an OTR that goes in that these bags have, which is that 
oxygen transmission rate of the way the bag breathes. So we have to put it in something, right? Because it's all cut up. Um, but we try to minimize it. And we do have a partnership also further with How to Recycle, which is the organization that helps identify what type of substrates are recyclable. And, you know, they provide a emblem for us to put on our pack so we can give the consumer directions on how to dispose of the bag. So you're not throwing, necessarily throwing it all in a landfill. So they could go into a post-consumer uh, cycle. Wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and I should have prefaced it. I mean, I think like products that you guys like salad kits and stuff like that is totally fine. But like, I, I mean, I was kind of talking about like different things that have unnecessary packaging, like for green salad kits, you obviously need this type of packaging. And I think like what you guys are doing in other produce companies, it's very minimal. And I did not know about the OTR. So you've got to make sure that only a certain amount of oxygen is actually leaving that package. It's, yeah, and it's specifically designed for every recipe, right? Because mm, lettuce mm-hmm. breeds differently than a kale versus a cabbage versus a celery. I mean, it's it's super scientific. And there's That's true. Take you know, spend their entire career um, just becoming experts in this place in this area. So I've heard that. What is it? If if the bag is inflated more, it's not as fresh. Is that right? Not or something like that. No, because okay. sometimes we have to. Yeah. No, not necessarily at all. Um, I think, but I think as product ages, just kind of a basic, it starts to ferment. Mm-hmm. That's when, you know, like when you buy a, a tub of salsa at the farmer's market, I don't know if, you know, I notice if it's been sitting in the fridge too long and it starts to like bubble up, that's because it's fermenting and the natural gases in there are kind of releasing themselves, but yet the container is so tight and it has no OTR. <laughs> <laughs> that's to, true yeah to, you know, eventually if you leave it it's just gonna probably combust maybe or no not really but you know at least explode in a little sort of a way um but and then the pl- the product tastes sour that's yeah which, people, which right? is no bueno yeah no far from bueno also <laughs> right yeah that's true and it's funny to talk about that I, I actually i've been making these green smoothies every now and then and i had one um, but unfortunately I forgot it was in the sink and it was, it was closed cause it was like one of those pop-off lids or something in a cup and I went to pop it off and it went poof. Cause I was like, oh, it fermented in there. My bad. Should have cleaned that out. So it's yeah. fun. You can realize stuff does, does that every now and then you're like, oh, there's some natural processes going on here. You know, a hundred percent. I've done that myself and even worse if you leave it in a hot car. Oh yeah. I, oh my goodness. I, I had one friend that left a shaker bottle in his car and it fermented and it smelled horrible. And I honestly think he had to sell his car because it still smelled so bad <laughs> months later. Well, that's an excuse to get a new car, right? Yeah. <laughs> I just want to know, did he sell it to somebody without a nose or something? Like how did that work out? Or somebody that couldn't smell, maybe the person buying it had a cold and they had all their scent blocked right. up. I don't know. <laughs> so, so how exactly do you guys, how do y'all spotlight farmers when you're, promoting this when you're working with chefs how important is that for for a new product uh very important right because that's kind of this the basis of green fork so we talk about our story um on the back of packs so that there's a connection and i'm not we're not necessarily spotlighting a particular farmer per se right because we have a, a whole team of farmers that are working on this because of our volume or mass volume that we put out there but we like to talk about the family story i mean like the family's been doing it since 1915. That's a long time to be growing and harvesting and selling to consumers. And consumers probably don't even know they're consuming or eating the Boscovich brand because it's always been on the commodity side. Um, but we like to highlight them definitely on the back of pack. And then we use you know social media and we like to use um, any opportunity we can where we can communicate to them 
on who this who this family is and what their stands for, what they stand for. So you're kind of talking about you're really curious about the consumers. Like, do you find I mean, I definitely do. But do you find that consumers, most consumers really want to learn kind of about where their food comes from? Like they're really passionate about finding out that story. I do. I think the emotional connection is really important. Um, I mean, I want to know where my stuff comes from, right? Even if it's a bottle of water, you get a story about what spring mount, you know, what mountain the spring water ran down, right? So why would you not want to know where your food comes from? I mean, there's so much emphasis and visibility around food transparency. Um, I think that's a real big opportunity for our category to share more about where who's growing it, where it's grown and, you know, how it basically got to you and the time, right? Limited time because you don't want it to be harvested and then sitting somewhere, you know, in a cooler for too long. So it's all about that supply chain. I think that more transparent we can be with our with our consumers, the more they're going to be have, have trust in our product. That's true. And I mean, even about like the storage times of different products, I think that's fascinating because, I mean, leafy greens, you've got to get them to the, to the stores because if, I mean, they've only got like a, a fine window that they're, you know, that they're going to be good and fresh for consumers. And then you have different things like, I don't know, potatoes and onions that can last for months and months in storage before they go out. And so it's crazy that, you know, once you find farmers or companies like you guys on social media or their websites, you can follow that story and you can see how intricate and how involved the processes are. And you could be like, man, there's a lot more that goes into my salad kit than I might think about. Right. No, without a doubt. It's it's a very long process and it's very involved. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of hands that touch it in a good way. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. In, in a very, very good way. Yeah. Um, so uh, you're talking about you, you started this project in 2021. Is that correct? That is right. So what kind of impacts did COVID have with it? Because I know that threw everybody for a loop in 2021, I guess it's like a year after it kind of started, but it's still going on. Shoot, it's still going on now. So what kind of challenges did that possess or did that um, show you guys whenever you're trying to create this product and get it out there? Yeah, no, absolutely. So when I started in January, our goal was actually to have it ready for um, the big IFPA show, which happens in October. You're probably familiar with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so we were working very hard and fast to get it ready for that show. And we were almost there and we found out the show was canceled because of COVID, right? It was supposed to be in New Orleans and the cases were uh, were really high at that time. And um, I mean, traveling and being in a crowded convention center sounded like the last thing most people wanted to do. So retailers started dropping out, um, exhibitors started dropping out. So the show ultimately, you know, didn't happen. So we kind of, it was a big disappointment because we were ready to go. And so from that point, we started to reach out to customers to get appointments and said, okay, fine. If, you know, just because the show's not happening, we still have a line ready to sell. And we found that customers weren't really taking appointments. In fact, they were not even really messing with their sets. They're like, we're going to leave things the way they are right now. Cause if it ain't broke, I got nothing, you know, I'm not going to fix it right now because it's, it's too hard. Right. Um, and so we typically like to go out on a road show and we weren't able to do that as well. So it was really limited our visibility with the retailer and in way, a lot of ways delayed our launch, right? Our commercialization. Um, furthermore, I mean, we couldn't get supplies. So to be announced in a little while and, you know, in the coming weeks, we also have an organic line that we're getting ready to um, commercialize and getting organic ingredients was like, talking to a wall. It was just wasn't available. There's so much, the price of canola oil went up. 
Um, obviously, corrugate and pallets were are still really hard to, you know, they're very costly and um, still limited supply, right? So, I mean, across the entire supply chain, and now we have gas that we're dealing with. So it really hasn't stopped, to be honest, Trevor. Um, it's just now finding a way to navigate around it. COVID is, I feel like, not going away anytime soon. Um, and so it's just been a constant, it's been a constant challenge without a doubt. In fact, we just had our first trade show this last weekend, um, West Coast Product Expo out in Palm Desert. So it was the okay. first time we actually got face-to-face with customers. I mean, it's been a long time coming. So um, it was kind of exciting to be out there, but really it's been it's been uphill trying to get to this point. I bet it has. So what, what was the response like at that first trade show? I mean, were consumers like, oh, wait, a new product? Like, this is awesome. Like, did they get to try it? What was that whole experience like? Yeah, it was actually customers, right? So it's a B2B show. Um, oh my gosh, the energy was <laughs> amazing. First of all, you're out in Palm Desert, so the weather's amazing and it's just beautiful. And so it's a, it's a reason to, for folks to go to the show and come out. So it was the entire, it was, it was most West Coast manufacturers or growers rather, um, suppliers and most West Coast customers. And it was, it was, it was like a big, it was a big meetup <laughs> in mm-hmm. a good way, yeah. right? I mean, there was just, I mean, you went to the bar and it was just humming for hours late into the evening. Um, the event itself was so crowded. It was probably more than they anticipated. Um, so our response on Green Fork was fantastic because it's something new and different and fresh. And you've seen the packaging and you see that it exactly speaks to that. Um, we also had the opportunity to sponsor a salad at the luncheon there. So that was pretty exciting for us. So we have a, a recipe called Slam and Sesame, which is a it's a cabbage and kale and carrots and cilantro and green onion base and with a dressing. And it's got a lot of delicious toppings on top that make it just kind of crunchy and create like a, a little explosion in your mouth of flavor. Um, we were very excited to sponsor and have everybody have the opportunity to taste it at the luncheon. So about 700 people went through this lunch and tried it, and we only heard great things. That's awesome. I mean, that's so cool that you were able to give your product and like have build those relationships right then and there. And like, hey, you you not only get to see our product at this trade show, but you can try it and you can build that relationship and you can look for it in the future. Like, that's awesome. That's so cool that you guys got to do that. Yeah, no, it was it was definitely a op- awesome opportunity that just kind of fell in our lap, honestly, only days before the show. So we kind of had to react pretty quickly. You know, it's those things you don't plan for, but when they come to you, you're like, oh yes, we must do this. Yeah. You got to jump on that whenever those situations arise. Um, That's awesome. So what stores are y'all kind of looking at and working um, towards kind of actually having your product in? Like what's that whole process been like? Uh, Well, the energy was definitely elevated this weekend. We have a a lot of really good follow-ups. We are still very new. We have some customers that we're in conversations with. I can't share today, but um, I promise you that it's going to be on the West Coast, fingers crossed, everywhere in the coming months. That's awesome. All major, yeah, I'm all major retailers. And so are, are you guys, because one thing we've been trying to focus more on the show is kind of learning more about direct-to-consumer businesses. Is that, because um, I know that's a huge avenue, but that's honestly something totally different than just supplying to stores. So is that something you guys are looking at doing in the future maybe or not really in the game plan right now? As of right now, I'd say it's not in the game plan just because our shelf life is limited, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if we were to ship to a consumer, I mean, it's it's just doesn't logically make sense. And not to mention just the environmental impact, right, of shipping boxes out. Um, 
to individual customers. Better that they just go to the store and do all their shopping at once or shop online and kind of just minimize, you know, the amount of materials that we're using to get products to consumers. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the whole food supply chain is like super complicated and really long. And I mean, if you have part of those food subscription companies, you're really just kind of adding on to it, which is, I mean, usually not the best thing in the world. And especially for greens like you guys, I mean, like you were talking about, the shelf life is so short. And honestly, I don't know of any huge, large scale or even small scale companies that do direct to consumer um, produce. Usually they might, they might be um, smaller companies. For example, I know a guy in North Carolina, he has microgreens. And so he just delivers door to door in his local community. But I mean, he's much, much more able to do that as opposed to like shipping across the country, because that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, no, definitely. No, it's, it's, it's a challenge. <laughs> no, I can imagine. And so do you think people are more aware of where their food comes from? Do you think that if people know where their food comes from, they're going to make better choices at the grocery store? And also, do you think farmers are doing a good job at sharing their soil, their story on social media or wherever that might be? Do you think that relationship is good or do you think it's better than it has been or it's worse? What do you think? I think that relationship is um, is still an opportunity, right? I think mm. some of us are starting to do that a little bit more and communicate with our consumers to share our, share the story and you know the reason for existing and what our what we do well and why we're sharing our product. But I don't know if everybody's doing that, and I think more should because again, transparency is key. The more we can share with them, the more they're going to believe in your product. And it's as a marketer, it's all about getting that brand loyalty. So if they have that trust and they're going to come back again and again. Hmm. I mean, the more, honestly, the more I do these episodes, I'm learning just how important brand loyalty is. I mean, because once you have that consumer, once they try your product, if they try it two or three times, maybe, then you've got them hooked. Like you've got to build that brand loyalty and have those repeat customers. And you can have those relationships, which I think are phenomenal. It kind of changes the ball game. Yeah, no, totally. So there's the marketing funnel right? So it's like the top is the awareness. Think of it like an upside down triangle, right? So the top is the awareness. And then there's the trial, right? Will they actually try it? And then the second is the repeat. So, and then finally it's the loyalty. So just visualize that triangle upside down. It's all the goal of getting through that funnel. Mm -hmm. And that's as marketers, that's what we think about. It's like, how do we create that breadth of awareness? And then how do we pull them down to the bottom? So because those are the ones that are going to stick with you and those are the ones that are going to be sustainable to your business. That's true. And man, I, I have heard that term, the marketing triangle so much, even as I just try to market this podcast. I mean, obviously you want to make people aware of it and then you've got to bring them in to where they're longtime listeners and stuff like that. And so it's funny how that applies to so much stuff like podcasting, um, marketing products, stuff like that, even personal brands. It's just cool mm -hmm. how that applies so much to, to the marketing side of things. Absolutely. It's all about the funnel. That's true. So if you don't mind me asking, what have you learned in terms of agriculture and food production while you've gone through this whole process of creating Green Fork? Like, what have you personally learned? Like, ha has there anything that's kind of changed your mind? Was there anything like super enlightening or what did you kind of learn during this whole process? That's a great question. Thank you. <laughs> um, the, what I feel like I've learned the most is really the grower side. So I didn't have personal experience in my career working with growers directly because the last produce company I worked at didn't actually grow anything. Um, they just processed, they would buy it on the open market, process it and market it. Whereas here, I find it so fascinating to go out to the fields 
and see these farmers and their passion about growing the acres and acres and acres of celery, you know, right? Or cilantro or kale. And it's just, it's just so energizing to see their passion that it kind of in kind of just kind of lights a fire in my in my soul to help kind of continue to push this forward because they're putting so much love and care into the growing of the product that I feel like it's my duty now to share it with the consumers, if that makes sense. And I should just add is also just what a big factor the weather is on all of their work, mm-hmm. right? You don't think about those things, but if it's a gorgeous, you know, if it's consistent weather, you're probably going to have a better yield than if you have, you know, torrential downpours or versus like extreme heat. So how important it is to have that continuity in the weather is just, it's been just all these little tidbits that just come at me. I'm like, Oh, I never thought about that. (laughs) That's so cool. I mean, yeah. Kind of like what you said, like when you kind of connect the dots and you see actually the people behind it, how passionate they are, maybe they're a fourth or fifth generation farm. And you think like a lot of people that don't know a lot about agriculture, they think, Oh, it's just people that they do it for the money. And then you realize they're not doing it for the money. They're doing it because they're passionate about it. They love it. And I don't know, like kind of what you say, like you want to bring that and kind of help that as much as you can. And then even the weather side of it, I mean, you have like tornadoes, hurricanes, monsoons, everything that affects farmers. I mean, if you get too much rain, your crop's going to be ruined. Like if you've got to maintain it perfectly. And I mean, oftentimes if they don't get one or two good crops, that farm can go under. So you've they've really got to pay attention and do everything as best as possible. And you really don't really think about that unless you do a bunch of research or people like you that just so happen to be in that situation where you're marketing a product and then you kind of hear those stories and you hear their pain points and stuff like that. It's, it's really eye opening. A hundred percent. It is. It's a new day every day for sure for them and for, for the stuff that we're learning. So it's fun. Oh, a hundred percent. So what would you recommend to maybe consumers that are listening? What would you recommend to them? Like, Hey, if you wanted to learn more about food and farmers, like what resources would you recommend or what would you recommend them, them do to kind of, see what's going on? Um, I would say reach out, reach out to, you know, if there's a company you get excited about that has, that you enjoy their product, reach out to them directly. And maybe some of them will tell you more. Like I think if somebody reached out to me, I would be more than happy to share the story and give them more insight because we love what we're doing. Right. So we want to share it forward. Um, Reach out via social media or the website. Um, And then also I think just just getting out there. Right. And just, even if you're just going on a drive and you're going on a, to a countryside or farmland, just stop and talk to a farmer. I bet they'd love it. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people did that in the old days and I feel old saying that, but I feel like, like back in the day before social media or anything, like if you wanted to see what went on at a farm, you could just go out there and see what's going on. And I mean, people, you can still do that. Like there are a bunch of agritourism opportunities where you can go to farms and you can pick your own berries. You can see what's going on. You can, of course, do hay rides. I interviewed a company over in Jacksonville called Congregan Pen, and they actually have um, goat walks you can do, which I think is phenomenal. So there's so many opportunities there where you can go and visit farms and just, just kind of see what's going on. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, early on in my just personal passion around fresh food, I would just even go to the farmer's market and start talking to the farmers. And you start seeing them every week and you hear their story and then they then they get a connection with you and they're like, hey, check out those peppers. Those are really different and fresh, you know, or check out whatever kale. It's like the best that it can be in top of the season. And it's fun. You just build that relationship and you get to know more than you 
really wanted, you know, needed to know or needed that you knew that you needed to know. Oh, yeah, exactly. And like my wife and I, we've been going to farmer's markets a lot more. And we've been buying garlic from these ladies. And the garlic they have is honestly the size of my fist. But anytime we go to the supermarket, we get small, small garlic. And this is huge garlic. It's delicious. We've been putting it on, on everything and we're building that relationship, which I think is key. So yeah, like you said, farmer's markets are phenomenal. I absolutely recommend them as much as possible. They're always super fun. And of course, you know, sometimes you get some free samples, free food or something, which is always a plus. It's a funny story I have. Um, there's a particular farmer that is at my farmer's market that I do patronize um, as often as I can. And I'm a big fan of peppers, like spicy mm. peppers. Mm-hmm. And Every time he grows a new, new, whatever, you know, variety, right. He pulls me over and he always gives me samples and he lets me be his little taste tester and give him feedback the following week. So I've gotten to try some really fun stuff just because of this relationship of just showing up every week. So it's, it's, I encourage it. There you go. All about, I mean, kind of, I guess, full circle, kind of all about building those relationships with consumers, farmers, marketers, everybody, which I think is super fun. Yeah. The more you know, the more you know. Oh, 100%. Um, Well, Deep, this has been super fun. If people want to learn more about Green Fork, um, where can they go? And of course, where can they go if they're on the West Coast? Where can they go for updates on you guys to see when they can find you in stores? I highly encourage everyone to follow us on social media. We are on Instagram and Facebook at Green Fork Fresh. Um, Both the handles are the same and or go to our website at uh, greenforkfresh.com. Sweet. Well, thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Um, We'll have to have you guys on once it's exploded because I feel like this is going to be a very, very popular brand. So excited to see you guys grow. Thank you. It's been really fun, Trevor. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Farm Traveler podcast. If you're not already, consider subscribing to the show. We have new episodes every week. And it doesn't matter if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever that might be, consider subscribing and sharing with a friend or family member, or check out our other content at thefarmtraveler.com. And also, my last little pitch, we have our Farm News Friday videos up every other Friday on our YouTube channel, which is just youtube.com slash farmtraveler, where we cover a bunch of different topics in the agriculture, farming industry, as well as food science. This week, we're gonna talk about some very interesting stuff like growing plants in lunar soil from the Apollo missions, which is crazy. And it's something that the University of Florida has done. So again, head to the description for all of those links and we'll see you next week. Okay, thanks. Bye.